Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Where We Going Today podcast. This week is episode 6 of the Asia Diaries. And this week we left Da Nang, Vietnam, wandered afield a little bit to Haivan Pass, way in Hoi An. Lots to be said, lots that was experienced in this last week. Not long ago when we traveled to what I talked about in episode five is the Lady Buddha, this massive statue of Guan Yin or Valakiteshwara on the other side of the small bay to the north or slightly northeast of Da Nang. We used Grab, which is the Vietnamese or Southeast Asian equivalent of Lyft or Uber, and met a really nice Vietnamese lady who was our driver. We got to talking a bit. Not only is she a nice Buddhist lady, but she was a former English teacher who decided that English, teaching English just didn't pay well and she would make more money by driving Grab. And so that's what she was doing. But we got along well enough with her, given that she spoke some English, that we decided to hire her to take us on places, as I said, further afield out from Da Nang. So a place that was on my radar as a worthwhile destination, people had recommended a place called Haivan Pass, which is, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes north of Da Nang. Apparently a number of years ago, there was a TV show on the BBC, I think it was, in which the host of the show visited Haivan Pass on motorbike and proclaimed it one of the finest roads in the world, I think he said. So naturally, I was curious to check it out. Granted, we didn't do it by motorbike. We did it in our lovely grab driver's car. But it's a pretty interesting pass, at times reminiscent of Highway 1 in the Big Sur area. A different feel, certainly, but mountainous with expansive views out to the ocean. Quite pretty. These particular mountains, the way they're situated along the coast, they draw a lot of fog and low clouds. And so this area is large and jungly. The mountains are misty and foggy and the roads considered quite dangerous. I don't know much about the history of the Vietnam War, but in the coming days I would come to learn more. But in any case, I understand that Haivan Pass was the scene of some bloody conflicts during the Vietnam War. So it was interesting to drive through that area and have a sense of the horrors that probably took place in that area. But as I said, it's a pass, and when one reaches the high point of the road, there's an old fortress of sorts, a small fortress, granted, that has been there, I think, at least a couple of centuries to defend the only roadway for many, many centuries, or perhaps at least many, many decades, that connected the Danan area to the area to the north, North Vietnam, and the relatively large community of Way on the other side of Haivan Pass. So it was an area that was deemed valuable strategically from a military standpoint. And so you can still see this small fort that stands uh, atop the pass. I did have a reflection, uh, many reflections, with regard to Haivan Pass, but particularly as we descended from the pass and made our way toward the fishing villages at the foot of the pass down at the base of the mountain once you get down by sea level, is I thought it looked remarkably reminiscent of certain parts of coastal Alaska, specifically coastal Alaska, 
south of Anchorage, Alaska. I spent three and a half months living in this area, and so I'm quite familiar with it. And I never would have expected that I would consider parts of coastal Vietnam to look like coastal Alaska, but we're talking about extremely steep, deep green mountains rising directly out of the sea, essentially covered in mist and fog with little villages and whatnot there. Very, very interesting. So as I said before, for a long, long time, the Hyvon Pass Road was the only way apparently connecting the coastal part of southern Vietnam with coastal northern Vietnam. I'm not sure what options there are as one moves inland, but in any case, along the coast, Hyvon Pass is the only way. And then I think in the last 15 or 20 years, a tunnel was actually made connecting those areas, tunneling through those very mountains. We would drive that tunnel on the return back to Da Nang, da Nang later that afternoon. I was astonished when our driver told us it was 10 kilometers or about six miles in length. I don't think I've ever driven a tunnel that was anywhere near that long. It was an impressive feat of engineering, this massive, massive tunnel. Really, really cool. So there are a lot of reasons why people might go to the town of Hue. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of all these places, but that's approximately how I heard it. In any case, the town is spelled H-U-E. From what I understand, and again, would come to learn more about the Vietnam War, pound for pound, Hue was the most bloody epicenter of the entire Vietnam War. Um, apparently, lots of very horrific battles took place in this town, but that's not what drove me there. It also happens to be near the DMZ, or the Demilitarized Zone, which I was curious to visit but did not end up visiting. After all, I was focused on temples and one temple in particular. I had mentioned in the earlier episode called The Pink House on this podcast of my being influenced by the great Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. Back in 2006, my first meditation teacher was a student of his and that's how I was introduced to this amazingly charismatic teacher who only died a bit over a year ago, I think it was, at nearly 100 years old. An eloquent poet of a Dharma teacher, an example, 80 or so years as a Buddhist monk and never disappointed in terms of the example that he shared and offered to the world, his impeccable character, his beautiful way of teaching the Dharma, and a scandal-free life, it seems, which is an added bonus. In any case, he had been exiled from Vietnam, I think it was, during the Vietnam War, because he was an outspoken opponent of the war, of any war or conflict for that matter, and he was no longer welcome in Vietnam. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine from the meditation community, a Vietnamese lady, had told me about her own experiences with the Thich Nhat Hanh community when she was a young lady. She was inspired by Thich Nhat Hanh, a fellow Vietnamese, of course, and she wanted to go spend time with him on a meditation retreat. At the time, the great master was living in France in a monastery called Plum Village, but his name was not one you could openly talk about in Vietnam. 
her parents told her, don't tell anybody about your interests in this monk. And so she quietly went off apparently and spent three weeks on retreat with him in France. But in any case, finally, he was allowed to return to Vietnam. This is a monk who is respected and loved all over the world. And eventually he was welcomed back to his homeland. And as he suffered a catastrophic stroke around 2014, he eventually expressed his desire to return to his homeland to die. And so I believe he did that just a couple of years ago. So I wanted to visit the monastery where he was ordained and would eventually die, the monastery he returned to. And I was delighted to find that it was only two and a half hours north of Da Nang, outside of the city of Hue. And so that's what I asked our lovely grab driver to do, is drive us to his monastery, Tu Hue, I think it's called Pagoda. This would be the highlight of the entire trip to Vietnam for me. I've respected and honored this beautiful Zen monk since 2006. That's 17 years. He's impacted my own style of teaching and leading and forming my own meditation community in Santa Barbara, California. As an aside, I do want to mention anybody who might be interested in any of our programs. Our group can be found on Meetup. It's the Santa Barbara Buddhist Meditation Group. We offer not only in-person programs, such as the upcoming 11-day pilgrimage to Thailand that starts in just a few days, but also weekly Zoom programs, meditation programs, and Buddhist study group programs. In any case, this community that I facilitate was strongly influenced by Thich Nhat Hanh. So for me to visit the temple where he was ordained and would eventually die was indeed like a pilgrimage for me. This is a forest monastery situated in a relatively remote, more rural, I suppose, stretch of pine forest with one or two small lakes, a lovely and charming and beautiful monastery ground. It had a wonderful feel to it absolutely exquisite. I wandered the property, paid my respects to a shrine to the great master himself, spent some time in quiet contemplation. There's also a large cemetery on the property and it invites people to be introspective and to practice meditation. Truly inspiring. I knew that the Thich Nhat Hanh monastic community was thriving in different places in the branch monasteries around the world, particularly in places like France, Southern California, and Thailand. But I was very happy to see probably a hundred monastics in residence at this particular monastery outside of Hue. I was very pleased when we were approached at mealtime just after the monks and the nuns were served we were invited, as well as a few other guests, to join the resident community for breakfast. And that's what we did. We enjoyed a half hour of kinship with a few other travelers, four in particular, all Vietnamese people who came on a sort of pilgrimage to the Great Master's Monastery. We enjoyed a meal together, and although we didn't necessarily speak the same language, we communicated feelings of companionship and perhaps even love. 
and it was absolutely delightful. After we left that monastery, we visited another temple that our grab driver recommended. Again, the pronunciation is not good, but sounded something like Tianmo Temple, an old monastery built in the 1600s. I was so blown away, blown away by my experience at the Thich Nhat Hanh Monastery that this one didn't have the same sort of appeal, but it stuck out in a few ways. One was the beautiful pagoda right at the entrance that overlooks the river that runs just at the foot of the monastery. This old monastery is quite charming and dotted with dozens and dozens of amazing bonsais. I should take a moment to talk about bonsais that we've seen in particular in Vietnam. I've seen them in Japan, certainly, and they're impressive. As a matter of fact, in my hometown of Santa Barbara, California, two of my dear friends are bonsai cultivators who have won more than or I should say about two dozen first place awards for their bonsais. They're quite skilled and impressive. These bonsais in Vietnam are fantastic as well, inspiring. But one thing that stands out about them is I tend to think that bonsais are miniature trees. Many of these bonsais, most of these in Vietnam, are not so much miniature, but larger size, miniature looking trees. It's the way they're pruned and the way they are planted in these very, very shallow pots or dishes, or sometimes just with a small mound of dirt directly on a plate of sorts. They're breathtaking and gorgeous. And I suspect that in the coming days and weeks, I will share some photos and videos of many of these bonsais. I'll take this moment as well to comment that anybody who isn't already Maybe follow me, Courtney Purcell, on Facebook or look up the Where We Going Today Facebook or Instagram pages where I sometimes, usually every day, will share reels or photos of some of the things we talk about on the podcast as well as occasionally some additional commentary that you don't hear on the podcast. So the bonsais in Vietnam are amazing. They have their own character unlike the character of my bonsai master friends in Santa Barbara, as well as the character of the bonsais I've seen in places like Japan. So one thing that happened at the Thich Nhat Hanh Monastery that would resonate later in the day is we were pantomiming of sorts with some of our new Vietnamese lay friends that we met there. And one of them showed us a video of a temple that they'd visited, they said was only five miles away from Thich Nhat Hanh's temple. It would turn out to be a bit more than that, maybe a 30 minute drive. But in any case, it seemed to depict Theravada monks. That is monks dressed in the traditional burnt orange or even saffron colored robes that monks in places like Thailand and Burma wear. These monks in the video were on alms round. That is, they were taking their so-called begging bowls in the morning and receiving food offerings from the villagers near their monastery. Naturally, I was intrigued. Vietnam Buddhism is almost entirely of Mahayana Buddhism, a different type of Buddhism. Theravada is the original type of Buddhism. That is the particular tradition that I am a part of these days. And so naturally, I was extremely curious. 
to check out a Theravada Buddhist monastery in Vietnam. It turns out it was a forest monastery. Those of you who've been listening to my podcast are probably well familiar with my long and I think interesting relationship with what's called the Thai forest or Thai Kamatana tradition. I particularly talked about that in an earlier episode called Forest Monks. It was founded by the great fully enlightened meditation master Lumpum Man, which in the coming episodes I'll have much more to talk about. In any case, this particular monastery we'd ask our grab driver to take us to was a Thai style, that is Theravada forest monastery. It was absolutely beautiful. It was situated in the jungly mountains in a very rural area. You go through agricultural fields, wander up this narrow, not quite a canyon, but this up this dirt road up into the mountains. And at first it seemed to be not much there. We saw some kutis, that is some small dwelling structures and whatnot, a small pond. But then we explored around more and found more bonsais in a lovely and enchanting Dhamma Hall, a gathering place, a place for meditation. And I did just that. I sat in meditation for a period of time in this wonderful, wonderful Theravada forest monastery in rural mountainous Vietnam. It was simply sublime and wonderful. Eventually, we made our way back to Da Nang, and the next day, we decided to take it easy after all the driving the day before, up and over Haibun Pass and into Hue, and the wonderful temple visits there. And we decided to walk from our hotel near the beach for about 45 minutes to the Ho Chi Minh Museum. This museum focused not on, on the life of former President Ho Chi Minh, but also on the history of war in Vietnam, with particular emphasis on what we might call in America the Vietnam War. It was interesting to see the expansive collection of photos and military paraphernalia on display there, as well as to hear the way they portrayed, characterized the Vietnam experience from their perspective, that is the war against the American imperialists as they reference it as they state it, as they express it. I offer no opinion whatsoever. It was simply an interesting experience to be there and I appreciated it very much. I thought they did an excellent job with the museum. It was well organized, had lots of interpretive signage in English as well as Vietnamese and a really nice place that was quiet and could easily lead one on a two or three hour journey into Vietnam's war past. After that, we had an opportunity to return to the Marble Mountains where we'd visited on our first full day in Da Nang. There was another cave temple area there that we realized we'd missed on our earlier visit. So we had our beloved grab driver take us over there again in the morning. And this particular cave temple, if that's what we can call it, unlike the other magical one we'd experienced earlier in the week, had as its theme the depths of hell. This cave system was extremely large and impressive, towering cathedral-like ceilings, deep, dark, wet, 
tunnels. It had been raining lately and the cave was rather wet, sketchy areas that were one would not want to slip. But in any case, the theme, as I said, was the depths of hell. And there was all kinds of gruesome and grim statuary. It had a dark feel, which was ex exactly its intent, I think. It was worth a visit for sure, but definitely didn't leave one with the warm and inspired feel that the earlier big, amazing cave on the same mountain had resonated with us earlier in the week. Before I close, I wanted to share a visit we also paid to the town of Huayan, which is south, perhaps 45 minutes or less south of Da Nang. This is regarded as an old town, somewhat in the way that Phuket Old Town is an old historic town in that particular part of Thailand. Huayan is a traditional town in coastal central Vietnam characterized by colorful yellowish buildings, old architecture, and lots of shops and people. We didn't spend a lot of time there. I'm drawn to quiet places that invite introspection. I'm a person who seeks out temples and monasteries and caves in natural places. So the busyness of lively Hoi An, while beautiful and certainly enchanting for those who are drawn to active sense engaging places was a place I was glad to visit but not opposed to leaving a short time later. It was charming but I was ready to head back to a place of quietude. So in any case I'd like to take this opportunity to wrap up this particular episode that is episode six of the Asia Diaries Haivan Pass, Hui and Hoyan. Thank you so much for listening. I've been getting a lot of questions from listeners with follow-up questions or asking me to tackle specific topics in future episodes. And I'd like to invite anyone who's listening to this episode to reach out to me with any questions or comments or requested content you might like to see in the future. But for the time being, I'll say farewell for now and thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.